can I invite you now, please, to turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. And we want to read from verses 32 to 41. Mark chapter 14. And we want to read verses 32 to 41. This is what God's word says. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James and John along with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little bit further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, this hour may pass him by. Abba Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he found them again sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. As you all are aware that the Easter weekend is upon us, and um, many churches are focusing on the week leading up to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I thought that this passage would lead us into this time, but would also be deeply relevant to where we are living at, at the present. The huge privilege that I've had, and many like me over the last few weeks, was to be able to call people and pray for them over the phone. And the more people I've prayed, and the more prayers that I've prayed, I have realized that our needs at times like these vary so hugely. On the one hand, you would have people who say to me, Peter, it's just so wonderful that we could chill at home. Because some of the wives have their husbands home, and vice versa, you know, the children are there, and some people are just chilling. And then on the opposite side of the fence, you know, some of the people that we've spoken to have asked us and said, Peter, please pray with us. We, we have children in other countries and they are vulnerable to the disease, the coronavirus that is going around. 
And so we have prayed with people, we have wept with people, we have trusted with people. And so you see that the needs are so varied. Other people have looked for jobs and are in the process of landing a certain job opportunity just for it to be put on hold because of the economics and the situations around the coronavirus. So we see that there are so many needs within our own lives. Other people have heard that their jobs have been cancelled and so they've got to live within that context of things. And so we do live in a time where we think that our circumstances are unique. But when you read the Bible, particularly the New Testament, you'll find that the New Testament was written out of circumstances like these. Paul wrote the book of Philippians while he was in prison, while he was in isolation. So much of the Bible, particularly the New Testament, relates directly into the circumstances that you and I are facing. And so when the Bible says that we need to face our trials and our difficulties with joy, some of us would say, well, you don't know what we're going through at this time. Yes, the Bible does, because it was written out of these contexts that we are facing. In some respects, for some of us, not for everyone, we've lived in a little bubble, and that bubble has burst. And my friends, if you find yourself in that place, the most comforting resource that you could turn to is to the Word of God, because the Word of God addresses directly not indirectly, directly into the circumstances that you and I are facing at this time. And more than that, as we read this passage of Scripture, you'll find out that Jesus models how we ought to live at a time like this, at a time in his life that he went through his highest challenge, his deepest testing, and you and I have the opportunity to journey with him through these hours within the Word of God. Yes, this reading is staged in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus understands what lies ahead of him in the next few hours. He asks his disciples to spend these last hours with him as he goes to pray. As Jesus was custom at this time, he asks Peter, James, and John to join him and also his disciples as they walk further into the garden and he asks them to wait and pray with him. It's interesting he had the 11 disciples with him. Judas wasn't there at that time. He was the one who was going to betray Jesus in the coming hours. And so the 11 disciples walked with him, but then he asked Peter, James, and John, and he did that on several occasions, where he asked them to go with him further, and they did. And Jesus says to them, um, I'm going to go and pray and talk to my father. Will you wait here and pray with me? And of course, we see the scene here where Jesus goes and prays, and he comes back, and Peter, James, and John. Are sleeping and um, this is repeated two more times and the disciples understood something of what Jesus was going through but they didn't understand the full context and it is very similar with you and I 
you and I may understand some things that people go through, but we don't understand all of the circumstance. The most beautiful thing about this passage of Scripture is that the New Testament later on reminds us that Jesus understands everything that we're going through. And when you understand this passage of Scripture, as we look at it today, you will certainly understand and see that Jesus knows what you and I can are going through and what we're experiencing and that he is the one who can actually help us through it. And so we see that this is one of, and excuse me for using this term, it is one of the crowning moments of Jesus' ministry on the earth. The first 30 years he was preparing for his ministry, the last three years he was performing his ministry, and now he's come into the latter stage of those three years, where in just the next few hours he was going to be betrayed by one of his disciples. People were going to take him and he was going to be crucified and he was going to fulfill the mission that the Father had given him. And as we led, as we were led through the scriptures here, as we were reading them, we would understand just the in-depth emotion that went together with this moment within Jesus' life. I'm struck every single time when I read the scripture when it says they went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And um, as we put ourselves into the context of this passage, your emotions, I'm sure, is touched by the innermost being of Jesus being revealed to us. He reveals his struggles to us. He reveals his doubts to us. His humanity comes through like never before. And this is what I love about serving this amazing God of ours. He is such a real God. Even in the face of his greatest challenge, he reveals to us in his humanness who he is. And you and I can truly relate to that. John 16 verse 33 says this. And Jesus speaking, he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And this was a prophetic statement that Jesus made. Prophetic means he is telling us what is going to happen. And so it's a prophetic statement telling us what was going to happen within this passage of scripture. Jesus was having troubles of his own in the garden of Gethsemane. He had asked his friends to wait with him in his greatest moment of trial and yet his close friends fall asleep. He knows what's going to happen because it was foretold that Judas would deny him. And irrespective of who Judas was, Jesus loved him dearly. And so Jesus says to the disciples, wait with me, I'm going to pray. And they fall asleep in the midst of this challenge. Further, in the midst of this challenge, Jesus knows 
what God had commissioned him to do. That he was born to die. He wasn't born to live on the earth forever. He was born to die. And his death meant life for the rest of the world. And you say, what, what does that mean? Well, in this passage of scripture, you see that Jesus prays. And he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And then he said to them, stay here and keep watch. Going a little bit further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, this hour may pass by him. Abba Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Now, it's very interesting. When we look at the definition of this cup, what was this cup that Jesus wanted to avoid at this time? This cup that he was so reluctant to drink. As with most things in the New Testament, the clue lies in the Old Testament, where the cup was always a symbol of God's anger and God's wrath. The Old Testament said it, 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 it was a cup that sinners were supposed to drink from. This was surely the cup that Jesus was asking to pass him by. Because you've got to remember, Jesus had never sinned. He was perfect man, he was perfect God, but he was perfect man without sin. And that's why when this moment came up, all hell was breaking loose upon Jesus so that at the end of this test that Jesus would fail the test. The devil was getting him to, to it was tempting him to fail the test. And yet Jesus in his humanness brings this before the Father because he knew that the cup was that was meant for you and I, that very, very cup, he was going to drink. And that cup that he drank from was in the form of God's anger and God's wrath. You see, when Jesus went to the cross and he drank from the cup of God's anger and God's wrath, Jesus realized that for the first time ever, he and his father were going to be separated. And for the first time ever, his father would be angry with him. So he asked for the cup to pass him by. Jesus had enjoyed his father's company all the way through. And everything he said, the father was telling him to say. Now there was going to be a break in their relationship, which was the most perfect relationship ever experienced. And this is due to the fact that the father was going to turn away from him that very moment when he would be crucified on the cross on account of you and me. Being sinners, Jesus would die in our place on the cross. Jesus being completely sinless. And I say on account of us, God's wrath would fall on Jesus. As soon as our sin was put on Jesus that day, his own father was going to have to turn his back on him. My friends, this was the anguish 
the pain that Jesus was experiencing in this moment. That's why Jesus uttered these words. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. One more time he went away and prayed the same prayer. What was the prayer? Father, I know everything is possible for you. Take this cup, the cup of wrath and the cup of anger from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Returning the third time, he said to them, while well, you're still sleeping and resting enough, the hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is going to be handed and delivered into the hands of sinners. Let us go. Here comes my betrayer. The Bible says that Jesus' anguish was so deep that drops like off blood poured from his face. And the medical doctors will tell you that that is a result of intense stress and anxiety that Jesus experienced at that time. And I haste to say that in that moment, although he experienced those feelings humanly, he never suffered. He never suffered. Because otherwise he could not have carried our sins upon himself. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13 says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trials which is to try you, as some strange thing is happening to you. But rejoice to the extent that you'll partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. And so, my friends, this is the context of the passage of scripture here. The truth that I want us to highlight is this, that in this passage, Jesus shows us how to triumph over the inevitable, the unavoidable, and the inescapable challenges of life. My friends, during this virus and during this context that we are in, there are some things that is inevitable. It is unavoidable and some things are going to happen to us that we cannot escape. These challenges would come our way and oftentimes we live in this world where we say, oh, you know, we'll just walk through it very easily. My friends, there are some circumstances that's not going to be easy for us to walk through. How do we overcome them? How do we triumph? over these inevitable challenges of life. Jesus shows us how, and more than that, he overcame it, and through him we're able to overcome the most intense trial that would come our way. One thing I love about our faith and about Christianity is that it's a very real faith. And Jesus again shows us the reality of our faith. And in this passage of scripture, he shows us how to overcome the inevitable challenges of life. My friends, for us to triumph over the inevitable, the unavoidable, the inescapable challenges of life, Jesus shows us that we need to commit to community. Mark 
chapter 14, verses 32 to 33 says, They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. Took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Jesus embraced community in the very midst of his trial. Now, everything that we are facing at the moment is just the opposite. We are placed in isolation. We have the coronavirus. We've got to quarantine ourselves. Everything is the opposite, and we need to do it. We need to follow the instructions of our government. We need to honor them, and we need to commit ourselves to their regulations. But, my friends, the challenges that we go through, we cannot go through them by ourselves. It was God's plan always for us to walk through life in community. And that's why we have the privilege of these media forms that we do have, social media assistance that's put into place. And I've just loved, uh, Jenny and I um, Skyped one of our friends yesterday in South Africa and we sat with them and we just talked, Bill and Hanali, and uh, we just talked and we enjoyed one another's fellowship and then we prayed for one another. My friends, that's community to that extent. That's what we can do. Community is so important. You and I can do that. Don't think that you are an island at this time. Don't think that um, you just must be in isolation by yourself. Make sure that you connect with people. Even if you can't see them personally in your home, you can do it over Zoom, over all of the other media uh, systems that are available to us. I believe the church is a redemptive community. And what do I mean by that? I believe that the church is that arm that God uses to reach us. And as we commit ourselves to that type of community, there is a redemptive healing that happens within our lives. I was speaking to a friend a little while ago who was going through a huge challenge within her life, and I said to her, you must commit to community. That's God's plan for your healing. That's God's plan for you to be um, restored and that is God's plan for you to have hope in him is through community but I also said to her that community can hurt you because community is human community can fail you because it is human and Jesus shows this to us here he committed to community but he knew that his closest friends in his greatest hour of need would actually fail him Peter, James, and John fell asleep. They failed Jesus in his greatest time of need. Isn't that ironic? But Jesus is so real that he's teaching us how to walk through the challenges, the crises of our lives. And he says, God, if me, the Son of God, the perfect Son of Man, committed myself to imperfect community, I think God would say to you and I, commit yourself to community, even when community hurts you. My friends, there will be always those in community that will betray you. But equally, there will always be those in community that will be faithful to you. And Jesus knew that. 
And so he shows us that during our greatest time of need, commit to community, right in the beginning in the Bible, God says, let us make man in our own image, us, plural, community. Then we see that the word of God goes a little bit further in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 12, and it says, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three straps is not easily broken. Two is good, but he says three is much better. That means a greater community. Commit yourself to community, just as Jesus did. And several times he went back to his disciples and he said to them, could you not stay awake? And we see that he leaves and he goes and prays by himself again. So friends, wherever you are at, make sure that you commit to community. To triumph over the inevitable, the unavoidable, and the inescapable challenges of life, you need to face your reality. You need to face your reality. You need to face your reality and you need to name it. But Jesus did it within this passage of scripture. In Mark chapter 14 verse 34. Jesus said my soul. Is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them stay here and keep watch. Jesus didn't. Say to his disciples here. You know what? I'm doing alright. It'll all come right. You know, Jesus didn't say, oh, it's really not as bad as it seems. Do you know what Jesus said? He was absolutely real with them. And that's why I say, for us to overcome the inevitable challenges and crises within our lives, we need to face our reality. You need to face your reality. Call it what it is. Name it. Some people say you need to name it and shame it. In this case, name it and you'll be able to work through it. Face your reality. Jesus did. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. You know, Thomas A. Kempis says this. Who has a harder fight than he who is striving to overcome himself? Sometimes our worst enemy is us. Because we don't face the reality that we are in and we don't name it. I said to some people just over the last few weeks and we were talking about some of the challenges that they are facing. And I said to them, tell me what your challenge is. And they would tell me. And I said, now let's pray. We've got to face our reality. Name it. And they, you know, so many people who help other people, counsellors would say, you know, we need to actually speak what we are going through. And my friends, community is great for that. But here Jesus shows us that as he commits himself to community, he is real with his community and he tells them exactly what he is going through. And so let's face our challenges and let's name them. There's no shame in doing that. My friends, it is the next step 
to overcoming the inevitable realities within our lives. My friends, if you are feeling overwhelmed, tell your community that you're overwhelmed. If you are depressed, tell your community that you are depressed. If you feel like you just can't go on, tell your community the truth. Name it. Then, there will be faith, which is our next point that will help you. You see, the third thing that we need to do is you need to faith your challenge. You don't just need to face your reality. That's good on the one hand. On the other hand, you have to faith, F-A-I-T-H, your challenge. Faith works in the realm of the real, not in the realm of the pretense. And that's where we get it wrong. Sometimes we pretend to be over what we are involved in or in the midst of it. But faith works in the realm of the real, not in the realm of the pretense. Mark chapter 14, verse 35 and 36 says this, going a little bit further. Jesus fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour may pass him by. Abba Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Faith means that we bring God, our Heavenly Father, into the picture into the midst of our suffering, into the very core stage of our challenges. Facing your reality moves into faith when you say, Jesus, would you step into my circumstances and would you help me? <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, says this about faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And so when I say you need to faith your challenge. What I am saying is that if you do not have faith and you would like to face your challenge with faith, my friend, you must believe something. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe. What do you must believe? You must believe that God exists. So you need to believe some truth. And truth is found in the word of God. And the moment you start believing that faith, enters into your life. If you are in a place of, of fear and you don't know what's going to happen because your job may fall through, you may not have the finances that you need, my friends, you need to go to the Word of God and you need to believe what God says about fear in the Word of God. You need to go to the Word of God and believe what He says. The moment you do that, you are faithing your challenge. 
must believe something. And in this case, you must believe the word of God. But faith is not only a belief. There is a relational side to faith. Because this verse says, and without faith it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. There is a relational side to faith. My friend, you would say, but I don't know about this faith thing. Well, my friends, go online, find a Bible, read something preferably in the New Testament. And as you read it, believe it. But then there is that relational side when you take that truth and you say to God, God, I don't know quite how it works, but in the name of Jesus, would you speak to me out of this truth? And my friend, the moment you do that, you will start to face your challenge. What happens then? The supernatural is stepping into your life. God steps into your life. We cannot only face these challenges with reality. Reality is not enough. Reality will lead us to God. When your reality leads you to faith, my friends, that is when God, who is unseen, will become visible within your heart and spirit, and he will start to help you through your crisis. You see, you will draw strength from your relationship with your heavenly father because we see that this is exactly what happened to Jesus here. Jesus faithed his challenge when he said, Abba Father, he said, everything is possible with you. Meaning, Lord, if you choose a different path, he says, you can do it because you are all powerful. He says, you know, Everything is possible with you. And then he says, take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. There's a, Jesus believed something that God can do everything, but then there's the relational side where he says, take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. He had this relationship with his father. And my friends, faith grows when we believe something about God's word and when we have a relationship with God himself. Jesus said, Abba, Father, it is the most intimate form of addressing his Father when he uses the words Abba, Father. It's emotional, it's intense, it is very real. And we see that Jesus connects with his Father. And as a result, something happens within the situation with Jesus. Fourthly, and we close with this. Jesus receives strength. He gets up and he faces his challenger square on. He eyeballs them and he walks through the challenge. But you see what happens here is that Jesus receives strength. Why? Yes, he was in community. Yes, he faced his reality. But very importantly, he faithed his challenge and even his challenger. Mark chapter 14, verses 41 to 42 says, Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? 
not the IRS guy. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us cut. Here comes my betrayer. Even in the face of failed community, Jesus is strengthened. And it is interesting, one of the corresponding passages in Luke chapter 22, verses 40 to 46, this passage speaks about an angel who appeared to Jesus and strengthened him. And this is what I want you to know, my friends. Even when we commit ourselves to community and community fails us, even when we face our reality and it overwhelms us, even when we face our challenge and we feel weak, God always will come through for you. How did he do it in this regard? The Bible says, that an angel appeared to Jesus and the angel strengthened him. Luke chapter 22 verse 43 says, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. If you don't believe in angels, you will have a problem with the whole Bible and particularly with the story of Jesus. The angels are there at Jesus' birth. The angels are there at Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. And time and time again they step in. The only point where they don't and where they didn't support Jesus was when he died upon the cross. But in Gethsemane an angel was standing by him when the disciples were not. My friends... Jesus will provide for you. Jesus will step into that place when you are weak. And I close with the scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 9 says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardship, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. Weakness opens the door for God to strengthen us. My friends, I want to encourage you. If you don't have faith, to find faith. And you can find faith this morning. Faith is incredible because when you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ it transcends isolation it transcends distance it transcends countries and my friends it transcends every human barrier that is what faith in Jesus does I remember when my younger son had a stroke at the age of 20, he's 22 now. We felt so useless because we couldn't help him. And the most beautiful thing was that as we were speaking to people all over the world who knew us, and even some who didn't, these people said to us, we'll be praying for him and we'll be praying for you guys. 
People who have faith in Jesus, that was their response. However, some people we knew who did not have faith in Jesus, they just said, well, we will be thinking about you. When we have faith, we respond differently. We say, I'll pray for you. You see, because faith activates the supernatural that transcends any barrier. My friends, if you do not know Jesus, and you do not have faith in him through his word, through the Bible, I want to invite you just to pray with me now. And we're going to trust that God would step into your life and that you would become a person of faith. When people say to me, and I prayed for so many people, one lady in Italy this past week, both sides of her family were in trouble. And just outside of Rome, I connected with her and I prayed with her. And you see, my faith that day encouraged her and transcended the natural boundaries. And I believe that God is touching her children. Another person within our church spoke to us earlier this week and said that their daughter's in America. She's got asthma. And they said, please, would you pray that she does not, uh, that she recovers from the coronavirus. She was in and out of hospital. And, you know, I said to them, I'm going to pray. But as I was praying for her, I felt God say to me, is do not just pray that because of her asthmatic condition that she wouldn't catch the coronavirus. I felt within my heart that I needed to respond and I actually prayed that God would heal her asthma. Faith does that. Faith puts belief within our heart that we can go a little bit further. My friend, if you do not have faith like that, I would like to pray for you now. Would you please pray with us? Father, thank you for the privilege of prayer. Thank you for the privilege of stepping into the lives of people right now. And thank you, Jesus, that your example teaches us that in facing our reality, we can also faith our challenge, where we put our trust in you. And I pray, Father, for those who have never put their trust in you that today that they would face their reality and they would faith their challenge and put their trust in you. Lord, I pray that as they look to you that they would commit to ask you to forgive their sins. In a simple prayer like, Lord Jesus, I come to you now, and would you please forgive my sins? I believe that you died for me on the cross, and that you rose again on the third day, so that I can have faith, and so that I can have life eternal. Father, I pray that even as those people pray this prayer, that you would step into their lives, and that you would give them a faith within Jesus. Would you do that? as we trust you for them. For us who are facing the unknown, I pray that you would put faith within our hearts and that you would teach us to overcome during these times as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining with us. We really do pray that you will have a week where you will overcome those things that will come your way.
that you would face that with God at your side. God bless.